with me. Father, those words that we just sang or we just listened to, would, would they become true? What would your people look like if we believe that you spoke? What would we look like if we believe that you want to encounter us right here, right now, in a living, powerful, profound way, Lord? What would we look like if we understood the honor of worship? May you open our, our minds to that. May you open our eyes to that. But would you open our hearts to what you have for us? in this space would you meet us here in your name Amen Good morning everybody it's good to see you guys um, I know quite a few of you are, are newer and uh, if that's the case welcome here my name's Matt um, we're glad that you're here a couple things we want to make sure that you get a mug before you leave, there's some mugs at the table in the, in the back, or we'll make sure there's some in the hall. Um, so grab a mug if you haven't had one. One other really important thing you might want to know is 4567 is the bathroom code. <laughs> if you have to go to the bathroom, they're down the hall. 4567 gets you in. Um, important little piece of information. Uh, another piece of information, it's Kevin Titus's birthday today. <laughs> bit of a surprise party for him. Well, we're in this series called Identity, and, and usually when we think of identity, we think of like me as an individual figuring out who I am as an individual, right? And that's, that's important. That's a journey worth being on for the rest of your life, discovering more and more who you are. When we are saying identity in this series, we are saying this is like a northern y'all, like, in the South, you say y'all for, like, one person. That makes no sense. Y'all is plural. So this is like a plural identity thing. Who are we? Why do we mark on our calendars that at 1030, we're going to meet in this space, eventually at 12, 12? Why do we do this? Because if you're, like, from another planet, and you land here, and you land in this room at 1030, you got some questions. Like, why, we looked at last week, why is that one guy up front talking? about a book. Why do we do this? Uh, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at a few other things that we do every Sunday, but this, this morning, we're going to talk about worship. Why do we sing? I'm often weirded out by this. Like, why do we sing? I just went to a baseball game uh, Friday night, and you stand up at the seventh inning, and you sing, take me out to the ball game, and I always feel weird. And this one was led by a little kids, which makes it cuter, but every bit as weird as any other time. I don't really sing real loud. I just stand there and stretch because that's what it's called. <laughs> but there aren't many other places we like stand to our feet and, and sing, right? And so what is this really about? What is it that we're, we're doing? And I think I think there's a lot of us who actually ask this question. We're not, we won't ask it because we feel like we shouldn't, but we're asking, and I can tell kind of by our posture and all that kind of stuff. But first, let's, let's look through Scripture a little bit. Let me run you through a few verses. The very beginning, Genesis 1, God says, let us make man and woman in our image. 
It's this plural thing from the very beginning. God is talking to God, which I don't understand because I'm not real smart, and says, in our image, in this relational thing, let's make mankind. And let's make mankind be our image bearers there on earth, and image bearers were created, and God said that's very good. In Genesis 12, he calls this man Abram, and he says, hey, leave everything that you know and go to this brand new place, and I'm gonna make you a great nation, and all of the nations are gonna be blessed because of you, because I am going to be your God, and you are going to be my people. And then in Exodus 4, God speaks to Moses, and he declares that he will be with Moses and he will be with this nation and he is far away from Egypt where all of his people are and he says, hey Moses, there will be a day where you and all of Israel will leave Egypt, which is like the most powerful imagery. A nation will leave from inside of another nation and will come to this mountain where we are now standing and you will worship. And he declares it before it happens and then that happens And then we get to Jesus who changes everything for everyone. In John 4, Jesus declares that the day has come where it's not about which mountain you worship on. It's not about being over here or being over here, but it's that you worship in spirit and in truth, that that is what matters, that his spirit will live within you and you worship out of that. And then in Acts 10, Peter, who is like the gatekeeper for for this brand new religion, but much more important than that, this movement of God filling and transforming a people. He sees a Gentile filled with the Holy Spirit, and he says that I can clearly see right now that God holds and shows no partiality, and he spends a few days worshiping in a space he never would have worshiped before. And in Romans 12, Paul says these words. I want to read them to you. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. To me, I mean, we could, we could list off like 40 other ver- This stuff just gets me so pumped up. And, and as a church, like, big church, not just our church. As a big church, we have the last few years spent a lot of time figuring out what it looks like to live as worship, right? You've probably attended a church service that talks about what worship looks like when you're at work in that meeting at, on Tuesday at 11. How do you do that as a living act of worship, as a living sacrifice, all of these kind of things? But somewhere along the line, I think we forgot to look at what worship looks like when we're together and when we're singing and why it is that we're doing this. Why do we do it? The reason I, I, I know that we don't know the answer to this is I visit, I visit churches and, and sometimes like before you, this is just a little disclosure since it's just you and me, before you preach, you have to go to the bathroom, you gotta go find some water, something like that. So you walk out, right? Or you're like just nervous. So you go have a panic attack in the hall instead. And when you go do that, I'm amazed how when the music is going on, how many people are out there. Like often at many churches, never ours, but at at many churches, when the music is happening, people just hang out because they're like, oh, this is like the appetizer. This is the opening act. This is just the beginning of it. 
And then as soon as somebody starts talking and the Bible is opened, then people come, they find their seat, and they're like, that's what I came for. But there's a danger in that to me. And the danger is that we can easily start to shift from loving the word of God, which is incredibly important, to instead attending like it's a classroom and we just want to get smarter. And we want to learn more stuff. I don't find that in scripture. I believe we'll forever be learning more about who God is. I believe our theology should always be evolving and becoming more pure and more holy and all of that. But we don't come here to get smarter or at least... I don't think we should. It's not like the music is the appetizer and the meat comes in the message. No, the the message is, is worship. And singing is worship. And so the message is really you journeying with me through my spiritual act of worship and then each of us having our own encounter, right? Colossians says it this way. Look at this kind of holistic view of it. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So we have this time where we teach through the psalms, through the hymns, through the songs of the Spirit, we sing with gratitude forming in our heart, and then we leave like filled. And we go live out of that fullness, and then we gather back together, not because we're empty, but because we want to be filled with life. And so we gather back together and worship again in song, in teaching, in reflecting, in reminding each other, in all of these things that beautifully come together as the church. And the church is really about a lot more than learning new facts. Than learning new little ways to view a scripture in the original Hebrew or Greek. Those things are helpful, but sometimes they just make us smarter. And sometimes when we get smarter, then we just start to think we can do it on our own. And we miss the entire gospel and we miss who Jesus is. Church isn't really a place for facts. Let me try to explain it this way. My grandfather grew me up loving baseball. I'm like one of seven people who still likes baseball in the United States. And he grew me up on like the 40s and 50s and 60s, all the old stories about baseball. And I loved my grandpa, so I still read books about like old school baseball, right? And I love reading about the old Yankees, and I love reading about DiMaggio. And I've read like seven books about Joe DiMaggio. I've watched shows about him and, and documentaries about him. I just think the man was fascinating. He was such a good ball player. His, his personal life was so interesting. He like never opened up to anybody and still there's 5,000 books written about him. And so I read these books and I know some facts about him, but DiMaggio has never changed my life. Nothing. I mean, every now and then I might have like seven in my password more often because of DiMaggio. Outside of that... He's never changed my life. Not one part of me has changed. I don't wake up in the morning and be like, oh, that's right, DiMaggio had a really long hitting streak. I should wake up again. (laughs) Nothing. I might be slightly better at trivia, and that's it. But Jesus is way more than DiMaggio. He changed my life. Every single bit of me is different because of who Jesus is. 
is and when I remember what he's already done. And when I just go into fact collecting, well, I, I kind of miss it. And so if you come here for intellect alone, then I want to invite you into something more. And maybe you didn't know or, or most likely we have forgotten but worship, the reason we gather every Sunday is because we expect to encounter the living God. We expect this to be a place and a space and a time where the Holy Spirit does its work and the resurrected Jesus works in my heart and works in your heart. And that is plenty to celebrate. That's why we're here. We're made in his image and we are meant to bring glory and honor to God. And part of the way he chose to do that, he could have chose whatever he wanted. He could have said, children, now I want you to put your shoes on the wrong feet. And people are going to look at you and say, your feet are wrong. And that's, that, that's how I know you're God's. And he said, no, the way that we are known is through our love. And that love takes part in our heart as we bring glory and honor to him as we go. And he chose that a way that that works in us is through worship. But here's what I realized. I could come up here and say, hey, you need to worship. And like when songs happen, like engage in this song. And like there's, there's truth there, but that doesn't really like do anything, right? That's like telling me that I eat, need to eat vegetables. Like I've heard that before. It doesn't change the fact that I didn't eat a vegetable yesterday. So reality is we're to worship because that's what we were created for. But instead, let me tell you what happens when you worship. And then I believe we'll be like, oh, maybe that is good for me. Reality is he said it's good for you. That's enough. But we act like that's not enough. So let me try to explain it in a couple of ways, okay? Our faith is in a risen Jesus. It's not in our perfect understanding of who he is and what that means. Now, this is not licensed to like have sloppy theology. That's not what I'm saying. But it's an invitation to not be perfect on this. And it's an invitation to believe in Jesus and Jesus alone, not to put your faith in your understanding of Jesus and how smart you are. But instead, we come in here and encounter Jesus and say, you're enough, even in my limited, shady understanding of you. You are where I place all of my faith. And so when we gather, we sing, not because we learn new and more, but we sing because most often says, God says, remember. Do you notice that? We say, teach me something new, teach me something more. I want like new ground because I know everything. Sometimes even I'm reading somebody's book. This is how horrible I am, guys. I'll read a pastor's book, a flawed pastor's book, and he'll like indent to put a Bible verse in there. I'll read the first couple words of the Bible verse and be like, I know that one. And I'll skip on to hear what some dude wrote or some lady wrote. What is that? Well, I want something new. I want something I might not know yet, and I think because something is familiar that my heart knows it. That's not really true. God often says, remember, and that is vastly different. Look at Deuteronomy 5 with me. It's going to come on your screens. Deuteronomy 5, he says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And because of that, remember that I already did that, then you should have no other gods before me. He says, remember what I just did. And because of what I've already done, don't have any other gods before me. I've proven 
myself. Look at the very next chapter in verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. This is like the essence of worship, right? This is why, if you don't know, this is why many people in church raise their hands and almost get on their tippy toes and try to encounter God with all that they have because they are with all that they have, getting as big as they can to say, Lord, I want you to fill me. It's out of this verse, but look at what's the context of this, 10 through 13. When the Lord, your God, brings you into the land he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. He goes on here. He goes on and talks about his faithfulness. His goodness, these wells that you did not dig, the vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, over and over, you go through the Bible and he says, don't forget, but remember what I've already done. As you go along, remember that it's me who's doing this. Remember who I am. And there's something that happens as we worship, as we sing and hear music. We encounter God differently and we begin to remember where he has moved on our behalf, like in scripture, but also in my life. It's moments where my heart is opened up and I remember that last time I felt this lonely and scared, he met me. So maybe he'll meet me now. Last time I felt like I was at the end of my rope, he met me. And maybe he'll meet me now. And we need to be able to remember so we worship. You see, typically I've found in, in my life and in scripture, typically God moves, we encounter him, and then eventually we find words for what he's already done. We're usually describing things in the past that we've experienced. Those are the things that transform us. And through worship, we remember who he is. It's not just that we remember who he is, but through worship, we heal into who we're meant to be. We can come and intellectually discuss Jesus until he comes back, but if it's only in our head, if we don't, like Jamel talked about the, the medicine last week, if we don't take the medicine and let him do his work in us, we are left the same. We don't change. We're just slightly smarter but every bit is hurt and broken as we were before. But as we worship, we heal into who we're meant to be. This week, the, the, sadly, the church doesn't always acknowledge this, but the city outside of these walls and outside of church, well, it's hurting. This place is hurting. Violence has been way too much this year around the country, way, way too much in our city, and it's impacting our kids now. My little boy Durant came, uh, before I dropped him off at school on Friday, he was like, do, do you know about that boy, Dad? He went to my school. That boy in the Shelby Park area, the 14-year-old. Durant said he, he went to my school and my friends, like they looked up to him. They wanted to be like him. And now he's gone. He's not at school, Dad. That, that's how he said it. The young man was killed. And my son says he's not at school. 
It doesn't have words for this. Our city doesn't have words for this, right? But we come to worship and we come to the songs of Scripture. And, I, and I, right away, my mind, as I hear him, goes to Psalm 13. And I don't recite it from my brain because I know it. I recite it from my heart because I need it. And I think of when David writes, How long, O Lord, will you forget me or will you forget us forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle my thoughts every day with sorrow in my heart? How long will they triumph over me? And David walks through this psalm. And then he says, look on me, Lord. Bring light to my eyes. And ends this with, but I will trust in your unfailing love. And I will sing because you're good to me. That was a full heart engaged, vulnerable encounter that David had with his God. That's somebody saying, hey, I am raw and hurting and feel alone right now. Let me come to you in worship. And he went from feeling abandoned to trust because he encountered a living God. And every single day, but every single Sunday, we're invited into the same thing. Please don't walk into these walls and drop your abandonment outside to put on some like cheesy face. Don't do that. If you felt abandoned in the parking lot, feel abandoned in here. Because there's a living God who wants to meet you and transform you and give you perspective and healing so that we can finally be who we were meant to be from the very, very, very beginning. I need to be healed. So I need to worship. And most often when I'm lifting my hands or when my voice is so loud that Scooby makes fun of me on Tuesday because she heard me, it's because there's a lot of how long, oh Lord, in me. There's a lot of have you forgotten me? Was I wrong this whole time? I had an experience with somebody and they misunderstood me and I I feel Satan attack, all this kind of stuff. You lay that before him and say, show me who you are. Show me your glory. And God in his goodness does just that and heals you into who you are meant to be. It's not just that we remember who God is or that he heals us. But in worship, we lean into one another. This is important, guys. There may be a Sunday morning where you're like, hey, I am good. There have been weeks where God has been so present in the times that I'm opening up scripture and singing in my car and crying and doing all this stuff that there are weeks where I just, I'm already filled with Jesus pre-Sunday morning. If that's you, then we need you here on Sunday morning. Not for numbers or something silly like that, but we need you here because we need to lean on you. We need to lean on one another. In each row, there is somebody who needs faith. And in each row, there is somebody who's got enough faith to overflow onto the person next to them. And that's why we come into community together and and lean into one another. This is what Paul talks about in Colossians. Colossians 3. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. And this is where we lean into one another and we say, but, but I grew up in Minnesota and I did this and I did this. And no, we lean towards one another and start to discover what it means to be brothers and sisters, children of the King Most High, who can make our requests and say, Lord, we need you. This city needs you. 
This church needs you. My row needs you. My house needs you. My soul needs you. And this is where we learn to be brothers and sisters who, who lean into one another. And say, you need courage. I've got you. Let me loan you some of mine. This, this next week is too hard for you to walk. Then put your arm over my shoulder and I'll walk it next to you. It's too hard for you to be honest and vulnerable. Your soul's crying out, but you don't know how to do it. L- let me put my arm around you and my other arm to the heavens and let me sing for the both of us because you don't quite have it today. That's okay. There's no shame in that. What if this place became a real place where we encountered the living God? I don't know if you've ever known this, but I think weird. Two of you just got really surprised because you thought I thought like everybody else. But as I thought of this message, I thought of this. You guys remember this game, Kerplunk? Life-changing game. And I thought of worship. And I thought of the way that we encounter church a lot of times. And, And a lot of times we're just trying to gain more info. Like I said, and so that just sits on top and we can't really fit anymore we can't really remember anymore but we don't feel very full you know what I mean and that's usually because because we don't remember who God is and he has this this holy way of transforming us as we worship where we begin to remember him We remember that he was faithful to to our parents. We remember that he was faithful when we needed him. We remember that time that we were crying, we didn't feel so alone. And then, and then there's parts of our life that need to heal. This is where courage comes in, right? Because we're terrified. What if what if we open up to God and then he doesn't do what we think he'll do and all of these kinds of things, yet he wants to heal us, and so in worship, somehow. I don't understand all the like science and art to it, but somehow there's this thing that happens when you worship the living God, he meets you and changes your perspective and starts to heal your heart and things you didn't even know were broken in you start to come loose. Old beliefs, sloppy theology, hurt and pain, you can start to let go of. And then you just need each other. And we have courage to lean on one another. And things start to come loose. And as we worship more and more, we're filled to overflowing. And we encounter him again and again. And we're filled to overflowing. And Cardinal Town looks different. And the university looks different. And old Louisville looks different. And you and I look different. Not because we're special, not because we're smart, but because we plan and expect to encounter a living God who's going to do exactly what his word said he would do from page one. And he does just that. Again, Colossians 3, the verse we opened up with. In this, in this that we just talked about, let this message of Jesus dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through the Psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your heart. Let that be what we do right now. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, as you go forward, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks 
to God the Father through him. We worship truthfully once he starts to remove stuff that blocks us. We worship because what other response is there? What else is there to, for me to do when I realize that he is the King of King and Lord of Lords and that he is bigger than my sin? He is bigger than all those small ways I've defined myself. What else do I have to do but stand on my tippy toes, raise an arm, and praise the God most high? 